This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Did love fulfill the law, or did Christ fulfill the law? Short answer, yes. Long answer, yes. (laughs) Jesus is love. Jesus is love. God is love. So Jesus fulfilled the law. And he fulfilled it to send an example for all of us to love. Love your enemies. Love your neighbors. Love. There's no one we're to hate. Not no one. Jesus is love. Everything that is love, Jesus created. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will encourage you to look at your surrounding situations and show people love. Show them Jesus. When we truly know and understand that Jesus loves us and that all love comes from Him, our lives will transform from that understanding. Love will flow out of you to everyone you're around, and they will know that it's Jesus who loves them. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of James chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Sin of Partiality. In chapter 2, verse 8 of Revelation, he says, To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who, who was dead and come to life. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. It's talking about poor. Not poor in spirit, but physically poor. But you are rich. You see, that's what he says to the church of Smyrna. The word Smyrna means, is, is from the word herb to mean to break. And they were suffering persecution. I know you're poor. I know your tribulation. Okay? This is the only church that God has nothing against. Then later on, he goes into the church of Laodicea. And to the church of Laodicea, he says, I know your work, is in verse 14 of chapter 3, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you because you say, I am rich. And have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blinded, and naked. Now, the church of Laodicea, the history of the church of Laodicea, just to give you a little quick background, they were so wealthy that in Laodicea, they, there was a city, there was an earthquake that shattered their town. We're talking about everything was shattered, it was an earthquake. Rome offered them money to build their city. They denied it. Since when the state of any, in history of state, we turned down government funding, right? Laodicea, no, we're wealthy. We could rebuild our city our own. You see, for the ones that was physically wealthy, you see, God's economy, okay, those that are poor, okay, is different from those who are rich. The world, and we shouldn't, this shouldn't be our concept. That's to come money. It, this is the root of all evil. It's not money, it's the love of money, that is, the love of money, wanting money, wanting to be successful, wanting to hit the lotto, wanting all these things. That is the root of all evil. Because God's economy, if you are not 
financially wealthy, you're going to depend on him. If you're wealthy, you're poor. Okay? And so that's the, that's the idea here. So we see that there is a difference between the rich and poor. Now, again, verse 5, listen to me, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? We know the answer, yes. Now look at the contrast in verse 6. Verse 6, the contrast. But you, those who show partiality, have dishonored the poor man. Here God is using uh, an opportunity for the poor in their, uh, the fact that they're not financially well to bring them to Christ, but now you're judging them, and God is doing the work on the poor. Huh, I don't know about you. I don't ever want to get in the way of God. <laughs> and now he's going to give a rhetorical question at the end of verse 6. He said, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They'll have five lawyers to take you to court for $5. That's what they'll do. Here's the next rhetorical question. Verse 7, do they, the rich, not blaspheme the noble name by which you're called? The answer is yes. And that is because, not all, but because most, because they're often intoxicated with their power to manipulate, to get more. That is my money. I'm entitled to it. They want to make sure every dot is dotted, every number, every cent is collected, and it's in their bank. Now, James here, just to give you, again, let's, I always like to go back to the scene here. When James is saying this, I'm trying to figure out who are these wealthy who oppress and drag the believers into court. Well, it, most likely, James is referring to the Sadducees because the Sadducees were wealthy aristocrats and were very secularized, and they actively persecuted the early church. But we have that today. Be that as it may, they will oppress you and blaspheme the name, that noble name, and he's referring to Jesus Christ. Now, that's in verses 1 through 7. Partiality is a sin against God. Now let's look at verses 8 through 11. Partiality is a sin against the law. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. The royal law is the law of love. It's the law of love. It's been the law from the, the, the Old Testament, the covenant, the Old Covenant, and in the New in Leviticus, the Lord spoke to the children of Israel. The Lord said in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord God. And so it's not only in the Old Testament. So James is speaking about this royal law. It, the reason why he's calling it a royal law is because the king of all laws is the cane of all law. All the commandments that we find in the scripture, what is the number one commandment that stands up in front? The love is love. And he calls it the royal law because he's talking about is, it is the king of all laws that comes from the king of love, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. First John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Jesus gave the greatest commandments. The Pharisees and the scribes, they, they wanted to challenge Jesus. 
They say, well, uh, we figured Jesus never been to rabbinical school. There are over 630 commandments. Let's see if we could trap him. So they go to Jesus and they ask Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest law of them all? And Jesus rightly answered in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 40, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it in that it's a great command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what he's going to now put all the laws together. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Why did Jesus hang? Because he's the one that's going to fulfill the law. He did not come to uh, condemn the law. He came to fulfill it. And what is Jesus saying here? You know, we have a tendency to look at, well, I don't want to offend my brother. I don't want to break that commandment. You know, the first four commandments are vertical to God. The next six are horizontal towards man. And we start thinking, if we're just thinking about the Ten Commandments, let's put aside the other 603. Well, how do I not sin against God? Love. But what if I, love. Love God. You won't use his name in vain. You would spend time with him in Sabbath. You would not have any other gods before him because you love him. It's easy. You focus on love. It's easy not to break any of the commandments. If I love my neighbor, I don't have to worry about checking off all six every day. All I got to do is love him. If I love him, I wouldn't want to kill him, obviously. If I love him, I wouldn't want to lie to him. And here it is. If, if keeping this in our study today, if I love him, I would not show partiality. Love, love. Romans chapter 13, verse 10, Paul writes this, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you love yourself. How I know you love yourself? You all took a shower or bathe, whatever, right? You take care of yourself, right? You shower, you clothe yourself, you eat, you feed yourself when you're hungry, you take care of yourself, you love yourself. I'm not saying you worship yourself, you put a mural, you know? But I'm just saying you love yourself because you care for yourself. And in the same manner, you love others. So if we love, we won't show partiality. And so we have this law of love. Now here's the question. Did love fulfill the law? Or did Christ fulfill the law? Did love fulfill the law or did Christ fulfill the law? Short answer, yes. Long answer, yes. <laughs> Jesus is love. Jesus is love. God is love. So Jesus fulfilled the law. And he fulfilled it to send an example for all of us to love. Love your enemies, love your neighbors, love, every, there's no one we're to hate, not no one, even your worst enemy, even those that hurt you, abuse you, there isn't a person we're to hate, we're to love all. Jesus set that example. When he, in fact, when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Instead of eyes of hate on the cross, there was eyes of love, knowing that because he went to the cross, we will be one with him, is the love of Jesus. So, we will do well if we follow the royal law. Let's look. However, verse 9 is the opposite. In verse 9, but if you show partiality, here it is, you commit sin. 
You commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You show partiality a little bit, a lot, personally, at work, at home, here, anywhere, any kind of partiality. It's a sin. It's a sin. Now, when we say, okay, you know, James is saying it's a sin, okay, but it's not really like murder or adultery, right? Well, he's going to give us some examples, okay? But one thing we have to understand, that the moment we show, we show partiality, we sin two times. We sin two times, okay? We sin, number one, by not obeying the commandment, the greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That's number one. Number two, because we don't love, we show partiality. You see, if we love, it's easy for us not to show partiality. So it's like double. But just in case you think it's one of those sins, oh, it's one of those 2,560 whatever sins, and it's one of those ones in the real bottom. Well, no, he's going to give us the example. Let's look at verse 10. He said, For whoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of law. In other words, you, you can't be a law-abiding citizen. You could be a law-abiding citizen, but the moment you break one law, you are a lawbreaker. Oh, but it was a... You're a lawbreaker. You just broke the law. Whether it's in plural, broke, the, broke laws, it doesn't matter. You broke the law. You are a lawbreaker, okay? In the same way of the 613 commandments that we find in scriptures, if you just break one, just one, you're guilty of all breaking all the laws. And here he goes on to, uh, uh, to give us some example. Look at verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Who is he? The Lord. So he said, the Lord said, do not commit adultery, and he also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You already broke the law. But here's the interesting fact. For you students, you probably say, wait a minute. Because the two laws that he mentioned here, the two commandments, it's interesting that the two he mentioned here in the Old Testament, if you broke that law, you would be killed. You would be stoned to death. Yeah. That's the reason why. You think, what if all the 630 commandments he didn't choose? He only chose these two. He said adultery, murder. I want to give you some example, adultery, murder, because that's, that's what it is. That's how serious it is. And what's the penalty in the Old Testament? That's the Old Covenant. That's the death penalty. That's how serious partiality is. So don't, listen, this is the reason why James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this. Okay, it shouldn't be in the church. It shouldn't be in the heart of a believer in Jesus Christ. We shouldn't show partiality to anyone. I can't tell you how partiality, when people show partiality, especially in the church, church ministry, how it destroys the church. I've been a part of a church where they only look at the, those who prestigious people, people who are wealthy, people who are well-loved, people who are liked, handsome, dressed well, had a lot of money, drove nice cars. They became deacons. They became deacons. And what did they do for the church? Absolutely nothing. Because the one that should have been ordained or in leadership was the one that probably rode to church in a bike. And dressed like he just came out of the woods, but filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesse, that Samuel had ordained the next king, David, right? And Samuel is looking for the one, and he sees one of Jesse's sons, and he said, whoa, he's a tall, handsome guy. Look at that. 
You know, his eyes are gleaming. It's like, wow, he came straight from heaven. The Lord said, wait, Samuel, Samuel, I don't look at man the way you look at man. You look at man the outward appearance. I look at man the heart. He's not the one. And I'm kind of paraphrasing the story here, but Samuel's saying, but Lord, who is he? You see that smelly boy that smelled like sheep? The, the last one, the youngest one that was washing the feet of all his brothers, the youngest one. Yeah, that little guy there, the one that smelled like sheep. Oh, you mean really? Yes, that's the one, David, and he became king. Can you imagine? That's what partiality does. It blinds you. You're in the flesh. And that's what we don't look. We look for people in need. And we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Nobody's better, nobody's special, not even Pastor Eddie. I'm not special. I am not special. We're all the same, every single one of us. I just have a responsibility, and I'm going to be obedient to that and, and fulfill it as God called me to. But I am not above you. Never would I. You see me out here many times say, Pastor, why are you doing that? Why is it? I like to clean toilets. I like to take out the garbage. I have no problem with that. There's nothing beneath me. There's nothing beneath me. Because no one is better. Anyway, we looked at verses 1 through 7. We looked at verses 8 through 11. Partiality is a sin against the law, verses 8 through 11. Now, verse 12 uh, and 13, it's it's not partiality but mercy. Let's look at verse 12. James writes, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. In other words, whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law of liberty. The law of Moses was the law of bondage, but the law of liberty is freedom. You see, when we live by the law of love, the law of liberty, we have freedom. We have freedom. We're not in bondage. We have freedom. Okay? What did Paul write to the church in Corinth? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but... I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, we are free. And there's things that we can do, but, you know, it's lawful, it's okay, but is it helpful? Is it helpful? In other words, our freedom in Christ is not to sin, but our freedom in Christ is from sin. It's from sin. And there are things that we have. We have a liberty in Christ. Okay, but Paul tells us also, don't use your liberty as a stumbling block for others. Don't use your liberty as a stumbling block for others. For example, alcohol. The Bible doesn't say it's sin to drink. It's a sin to get drunk. However, in uh, the Proverbs, the last chapter, it talks about the king shouldn't be drinking. So not that I'm a king, but I'm a leader. But the reason why I don't do it, because I don't want, to be, want it to be a stumbling block for others. I don't drink because I can do without it. I can do without it. I don't want someone see me going to an alcohol shop and get drinks and alcohol, and then they're going to say, oh, there goes Pastor Reed. I guess he's a sipping saint. You know? And if he could sip, I could juggle. <laughs> he could take a glass. I'll take 20 glasses. You know, no matter what you do, somebody's going to do more. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I have no regrets about it. No regrets. I don't need therapy. I don't need counseling. What's the matter, Pastor Reddy? Well, you know, the life of a pastor is difficult. I want to drink, but I just can't. No, I'm okay with it. Okay? As long as cheeseburgers is not a sin, I'm fine. <laughs> I am fine. Okay? 
So you see, I don't, I don't, I don't want to cause someone else to stumble, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. In the same way, we need to be careful. And so let's look at verse 13, and we're coming to a close. It says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy. And in the context, speaking here, keeping this in context, it's referring about partiality. There are those that are just brutal against those that are less fortunate than they are. There are those that may not be wealthy, but they give more priority, give this better seat to the wealthy and treat those that are less, you know. You go sit in the parking lot. But if you have mercy, God will be merciful when he judges you. And you're talking about the Bema seat. We're not talking about a great right through judgment, those who have rejected Christ. We're talking about those who will be, will be judged by a good and bad, you know, what we've done as believers in Christ. You know, we use that term, that use, we use that terminology, don't judge a book by its cover, and how easy it is that we could apply that for a book, but not to people. We haven't even looked at the context, you know. We haven't even read chapter one, but let we judge. We shouldn't be judging anyone. We don't know the whole story. We shouldn't judge anyone. And so I'd like to leave you with this. Paul the Apostle gave a charge to his protege, Timotheus Timothy, when he wrote his pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy. This is what he wrote, and I'll leave you with this. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. I charge you, and this is how serious it is, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. And that is for all of us. It's a sin and we must not show partiality. Because God shows no partiality, neither should we. Amen? Amen? Again, I told you the book of James is hard, but it's good. It's healthy. Let us pray. Let us pray for the weak. And um, let us uh, pray for the children. Let us pray for the Let's pray for the weak. And let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you. Your word never returns back to you void. Uh, Lord, it brings conviction. That's healthy. Uh, we want to be right. We want to be like Christ. We want to love. We want to be used by you, and we can't be used if we have these uh, things in us that needs to come out. Lord, let us realize that you consider partiality a sin. Clearly, it's a serious sin. So, Lord, forgive us, Lord, if we have done that. Lord, we come here now, Lord, and, Lord, we repent of our sins if we ever have been that way. Lord, please refine us. Lord, please, please let your fire burn away uh, this sin of partiality in our hearts, in our mind. May we think differently. May we think like Christ, put on the might of Christ. May we see what you see, Lord. May we love the way you love. And Lord, may we not judge, Lord, but love and give compassion. Have you asked God to help you? As I grew up, this was a common phrase used in conjunction with numerous situations, from lost items to important decisions to doing what was right in a difficult moment. It reminds me of the verse in James 1.5 that talks about asking God when you just don't know what to do. Also in verse 12, where James reminds Christians that the promise of heaven hinges not only on accepting the gift of salvation, but also standing firm in what you believe while resisting sin. Having faith in God is the stepping stone to real humility, love, patience, and growth. Are you feeling stagnant in your relationship with God? Do you need someone in your corner? 
If so, here's Jessica with an invitation just for you. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. Just for you folks that aren't close and any who are interested, visit runningtheraceradio.com to not miss out on the many great ministry opportunities of Calvary Chapel of Milford. Our time has come to an end, but thank you so much for joining us today on this broadcast of Running the Race.